As you may have noticed, the Covert Narcissism podcast has a new look. Well, kind of a new sound. You know, it's better sound, a studio recording. I'm sitting in front of a mic and lights and, and a camera. And, and my producer came to me and, okay, yes, those words actually just came out of my mouth. I have a producer. What? I've never had a producer in my life. This is crazy. But he came to me and he said, hey, you should charge for a second episode each week, you know, to help cover these costs, like a, a bonus episode, a patron program. And I went, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's not in my heart to charge for these episodes. So I told him, I said, look, we just, we got to find a different way. So instead of charging for a second episode, we're going to open up donations. So if you are finding value in this and you can contribute to our cause, please join us. And as you do, I want to reward you. I, I want to thank you for your, your commitment, for this monthly donation, uh, whatever you're comfortable with. It can be small. That's fine. Whatever you can do for whatever length of time, there's no obligation here. But I want to include you in this mission. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm working on a book. And the title of the book is still in the works, but the title I'm liking right now is Grasping Covert Narcissism, subtitled Catching a Ghost. And if you can donate to our cause, I'm going to send you the first chapter of this book. I want you to read it. I want you to rip it apart and give me some feedback. To donate, just go to the top of the link at the show notes. It's nice and easy, and it's greatly appreciated. You all are a part of my journey, so please join me if you can. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast today, and I have a really, really special guest with me today. I am so uh, just absolutely thrilled and privileged to introduce you to my oldest son, Thank you so much for being here and for being willing to share some of your journey and some of your story with this audience out there that's just so eager to grow and learn. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, this will be interesting. I've never done anything like this, but <laughs> I'll give it a shot, Mom. Okay. I know you haven't, and just, uh, you know, it's quite all right. There's a lot of other people out there who haven't done this either, so... So let's get started. Uh, first question I want to ask is, when did the light bulb go on for you that something just kind of wasn't right here? Um, I mean, in terms of my relationship kind of with you and with my father, I think that a lot of it kind of kicked in when I was about 13 or 14 uh, is when I really started to realize that just this wasn't kind of normal. But I don't think that I really believed that until I was about 16. Um, I like, I'd never like some of the friends that I had, I didn't have a wonderful friendship with another friend who didn't have a parent who wasn't struggling with this kind of thing. Um, and so I just kind of assumed every parent was like this. Now, part of that was, I wasn't an overly social kid. You knew that. Mm -hmm. Um, but part of that also just was that I never really tried to talk about this with other friends. And so I didn't really realize how abnormal it was. Um, but kind of the moment that I really realized that it was abnormal was uh, when dad was a beta tester for uh, one of the insurance apps where as you drive, it tracks your driving and tells you how you're driving. And if you drive well, it saves whatever, whatever. And he was a beta tester for that. And so I heard him 
talking, discussing his results with me because I had just turned 16. I was starting to drive. And so we were having this conversation and he said that, yeah, the app was great and all, except it's clearly broken because it tells me accelerates too quickly from stop signs and stuff like that. And I remember thinking like, wait, 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 this app that, you know, one of these major companies is pushing is broken because it's telling you you're not, you're accelerating too quickly from stop signs. And I mean, I've, obviously written in the car with him, he accelerates too quickly from stop signs. <laughs> and so that's kind of when it really clicked with me is that, wow, it's the, the, in his mind, it's kind of everyone else is wrong. So I think that's when it started to kind of hit is that moment. Yeah. That moment that shows that it's, it's always somebody else's fault or something else's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in the situation that was going on in the home, did you carry some of the weight of what was going on? Did you blame yourself? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, I blamed myself as early as I can remember. Uh, some of my, and as sad as this is, some of my earliest memories from our previous house is fights between you and dad. Um, I, I remember I, mean, I was never good at going to sleep. I uh, still am not. And so I'd be up. And I would come down and get a sip of water or something, but I would be able to hear y'all fighting. And nine out of 10 times, it felt like the fight was about me. It's either the way that he was treating me or that you were too nice with me or trying to manipulate the relationship with me, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I heard those my entire life. And so I always thought, well, it's about me. It's my fault that they're fighting every time. And so I just kind of grew up assuming that whatever the situation was, it was in some way, shape or form my fault. Uh, be it even just, you know, dad has a bad day from work, comes home and is grumpy. I assumed he was, I assumed it had nothing to do with work. He was grumpy because he came home and now had to deal with me, that kind of thing. Okay. So you carried a lot of the weight of this. Oh yeah. And looking back, it's way more than I needed to, but I mean, at the time, you know, when you're young, your whole life is your parents in many ways, especially cause I wasn't an overly social kid. And so I know that I took a lot of that personally. Okay. And in looking back, is there something that you wish maybe you would have known sooner or done differently on your part or that just something that you wish you had known sooner is probably the best way to say it. Yeah. Uh, and in looking back, the main thing I wish I had known sooner is that y'all were fighting before I was born. Um, I wish that I had known that there already were problems before I was involved. Um, I mean, every kid wants to imagine their parents' marriage being the perfect marriage. And I mean, there is no perfect marriage, but I think that if I had realized earlier that there was fights going on before I was born, before I even was in the picture, there were already issues. I think that would have helped me now. I mean, I'm not sure you telling me that would have helped me. I'm not sure that kind of thing. I, I just, it's one of those, the, you know, evidence, I can't get evidence from something like that before I was born. I'm not sure that you just having the conversation. Oh yeah, we fought all the time before you did it. I'm not <laughs> sure that would have done anything beneficial, but I wish I had been able to realize that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so from here going forward, what impact, you know, not even going forward, let's just start with where we are right now. What impact has all of this had on you? Um, I mean, it's had a major impact on me. Um, I think that it was a large part of my childhood and I mean, everyone's childhood has a major impact on them. That's, that's kind of tough for me to answer, honestly, because to know how, what impact it's had on me, I'd need to know what I would be like if I was raised in a household without 
covert narcissism. And obviously I, I don't know that. Um, but I mean, if I were to guess, I think the biggest impact has had on me, uh, is that I do blame myself mentally for a lot of stuff. Um, I, I just kind of adapted this personality of no matter what I'm wrong. Uh, and I think that's part of why I became such a little bit of a nerd in school. I got so focused on getting the right answers because I could prove I was right about something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that one of the biggest, I don't know, that's, that's tough to answer. Um, I think one of the, I, I know one of the biggest impacts on me is that I'm terrified. I'm going to do the same thing to my family. Um, you know, I know that, that we can trace this several generations in my family and it's always the oldest son. If you go back through my, my father's family, which puts me next in line. And, you know, knowing that is terrifying because I mean, obviously I'm, I'm 22. I'm not, you know, close to being married yet, but still the, the, I, I really, really hope the day comes, I have kids. I don't end up doing the same kind of thing. Um, and I know that that's, that's something that's always on the back of my mind is when I catch myself doing something like my father or acting in such a way as my father would, I know I catch myself with that kind of thing. Okay. And are there things you are doing now that you think will help to, to prevent that or being proactive on that? I'm working on it. Um, yeah, I've, I've got my fair share of mental health issues I'm working on as well. And some of that is taking priority. Uh, but part of it is working at the martial arts school. Um, I work with kids all the time. And so I, I do have a lot of experience interacting with kids. And from what I can tell, I do well with it. I know I get good comments and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that that kind of thing will help. Um, I'm definitely also just trying to stay open with friends. Uh, I've got some good friends who know a lot about myself and my history and trying to com- stay communicate- communicative and open with them is definitely big for me. Um, I- I've told them, hey, if you notice that I am you know, acting in such a way, like I'm disregarding how you feel, I'm whatever, 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 would you let me know? And you know, back at the beginning of some of these friendships, it was way, way more common than it was now. And like, I think I've come a long way in some of that. Good, good. And when they do mention to you or talk to you about something you've done, do you feel those defenses come up that, that we all have? Oh, of course. Of course. Um, I mean, this, this happened the other day. I was in a conversation with a friend and I found out that the friend had been upset with me. I knew that I actually knew that she had been upset with me about something. Uh, it's a conversation we had previously, uh, but it, it got brought up again. You know, all was well, but we were talking and I'm trying to remember exactly the details, but basically I had upset her in some way, shape or form with how I was acting. I was frustrated with her and I expressed it uh, and pretty, pretty harshly. Um, but when I, when she mentioned how upset she was with me about it, my first immediate reaction is, well, but I was just doing it this way, but I was just, you know, of course I'm going to act this way. I was upset because da, 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 and my reasons allow me to act that way. You know, everyone has that little bit of self-justification in their mind. Um, but I realized as I was thinking that I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Um, and that I, and before I spoke, I just paused and was like, wait, it is okay for someone else to be upset with me. Um, and I think that's something I know I struggle with is that, um, and I, I think that I would 
put it as I, I know my father does. And so I would kind of categorize it as most people who deal with covert narcissism do is that it's okay for you to be upset with yourself, but it's not okay for someone else to be upset with you. Um, what I mean by that is I knew I had treated this friend wrong. I was upset with myself about how I had acted. You know, I knew what I did was not right. But when she brings it up and then says, hey, I didn't like when you did this, I get defensive. And, and that's what I was noticing is like, this doesn't make sense. If I know I'm doing it wrong or I know I messed up, why am I getting defensive when she goes, hey, you messed up? You know, it's not like she was screaming, yelling at me. We had, it was nothing like that. And so that's kind of. Something I've noticed a lot with my father as well is that if he says he did something bad or he thinks he did something bad, that's fine. If someone else does, especially someone he considers lesser than him, that's a big problem. Yeah. No, I like the way that you've, that you've put that in. That's a really good self-reflection. And, and the self-reflective piece, honest self-reflection is something I talk about a lot as a, a way to combat the covert narcissism. You know, we all have some narcissistic tendencies. We all have some narcissistic needs. But that ability to truly be self-reflective and to be vulnerable uh, definitely is what can keep it into check on that. So you feel like you're on that path. I hope so. At least those are some good signs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and I at least hope I'm on that path. Like, I, I'm still a young 22-year-old. I have no idea what path I'm actually on. I'm just kind of going forward one day at a time. But we'll see. Okay. So is there any silver lining in all of this that maybe, um, maybe you're wiser or maybe more aware than other young adults who did not experience this type of emotional abuse in their home? Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's yin yang. Every good has some bad, every bad has some good. Um, you know, I'm big into that idea. (laughs) Yes. Um, but in terms of this, I think one of the biggest impacts it had on me is that I was a lot more mature than most of my peers throughout my life. Um, and I had to grow up fast. Yeah. I didn't have a choice. There was no tolerance in the household by either of y'all for any kind of mistakes or anger or childish behavior. Um, and you know, that's something I really wish I got as a kid. I know I never got to be a kid. Um, and I'm never going to, but I'm, that's still makes me who I am, I guess. But in terms of silver lining, yeah, the, the maturity has good and bad. Um, you know, I, I still think that I am quite mature for my age. I mean, again, I'm 22, but I'm generally considered one of the wiser people in the room when I'm with friends or whatever. I'm somebody people turn to, uh, I'm really freaking good under pressure. Um, I think that's because I grew up under pressure. I know how to handle it. I'm really good at dealing with it. Uh, if you're in a pressure situation, I'm somebody you want on your side. I, I think one of the other silver linings, and I guess it's kind of a good and a bad thing, is that I've learned how to figure out other people's behavior. Um, I had to. I couldn't understand how or why my father was acting, and I needed to. You know, it became a, a survival mechanism. I had to figure it out. And I got a lot of years of practice. And between both you and him trying to figure out what y'all are actually wanting, needing, et cetera, et cetera. And trying to tell me so I could, you know, not get yelled at again. But I think what that means is that I got really good at figuring out what other people are trying to tell me. Um, so like 
people who struggle to communicate with people in general, or, I mean, even my father who obviously struggles to communicate, I can tell what he's trying to, I can understand what he's trying to say really quickly. Um, and I can generally find a good way to communicate back to him. So, I mean, there's good in that, in that I've become a really good communicator, but there's bad in that because when I'm in a conversation, a lot of the times I spend my whole conversation trying to figure out what they're going to say instead of listening to what they're going to say. Being aware of that now at 22, this is something that people are still figuring out well into adulthood. And so I guess there is some advantage to that. So with your experience, are you now able to, do you find yourself able to identify other victims of this sort of abuse maybe a little quicker? Do you see it in other people? Like the abuse that leaves no visible marks, mm. but do you identify it? Um, I definitely do kind of identify it. Um, now some of, it's kind of the second thing I tend to identify in people. Um, I don't know how much of your viewers know about this, but I have dealt with some suicidal ideations a lot of my life, uh, partially because of this, partially because of some unlucky genetics. But, um, I think that the first thing I notice in people is that, that kind of suicidal ideation. Um, if, if. I can pick that up on somebody way quicker than your average person. Um, But I do think it applies also to somebody who's dealing with some kind of narcissistic um, relationship, especially now that, you know, I'm, I'm the young dating age. I, I deal with a lot of friends who are in relationships and I can very quickly pick up on whether a friend is dating or interacting with someone who I would identify as potentially being a narcissist. Um, and I mean, again, I'm in that age where, you know, we're all young adults. We're all narcissists. But um, I definitely do think I notice it on the, the, the people interacting with narcissists quicker than other people. Or at least okay. I know what I would call it. And I want to say something to what you just said there. I'm a young adult. And we're all narcissists. And, and I know we kind of laugh about that. There is some truth to that. We all go through narcissistic needs. And that age range of that, you know, teenage years into young adulthood, those narcissistic needs are pretty high. Those needs being the need for self-validation, the need for, not self-validation, the need for validation from others, approval of others, all of that. So the narcissistic needs are high during that age group. Yeah, I think, I think they have to be, partially because this is the time that everyone's trying to get that okay from a college. You're trying to get that approval from a college, from a job, from other people, for social relationships. Dating. From Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. I think that, you know, at this point, you're kind of being taught a little bit that you have to put yourself forward. You have to put yourself first in many ways. Um, you know, I've done job applications in my day, and one of the weirdest things for me personally is to write selling myself. I'm not used to trying to convince other people of my positives. Um, that's, that's just bizarre for me, but I can feel very narcissistic. Yeah. And I think (laughs) it kind of is in in that a lot of, a lot of the, uh, you know, colleges nowadays with how high competition everything is, you really have to get good at selling yourself, but also you have to get good at figuring out how to put yourself above others. You know, if I'm in a job pool of 300 people and they're only taking one, I've got to do what I can to get above those 299 people. That's yeah, that definitely, that's a good way to describe you know it. What I mean? It fits with this age range that you are in right now. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's that's why I joke about, you know, we're all narcissists right now is because yeah, we're all trying to get that approval. We're all trying to be the best. We're all trying to, you know, 
put ourselves forward in some ways yeah. right now. But if that, those narcissistic, I, I talk all the time about the spectrum between codependency and narcissism, one side leaning towards empathy, compassion, caring for others, the other side leaning towards standing up for myself and putting myself, you know, in the best position possible, that balance in the middle being what we're all after. Yeah. Um, and I mean, especially because just because you have the traits doesn't mean you are. It's right. I, I think that that's very valid. Um, something you've mentioned to me several times about, you know, just in how I interact with my father. I'm similar to my father in many ways, but just because I'm similar to him doesn't mean I am him. Uh, same thing here in, in terms of having the traits of a narcissist, just because I think I realize how much I'm using that word narcissist and how much I'm using kind of saying this person is or isn't, but I think that's, or I guess this behavior is or isn't, but I think that's something that the more you think about it, the more you really kind of contemplate it, the more you're going to see it. But I think that's accurate for everything. Um, I mean, of course, when you're focusing on something, you're going to find it everywhere. Um, and so I think that was something that kind of scared me for a while is that I noticed the more I really thought about this, the more I thought it was out there. Um, and that's kinda, very common, you know, very and so common. I kind of got a little hopeless of like, well, of course I'm going to end up with another narcissist, you know, the, there's only narcissists out there, you know, <laughs> which I mean is not true um, because everybody has those traits. So just because they act that way in a moment or in a span doesn't define them. Very true. Yeah, very, very true. So one last question for today. What does your relationship with your father look like from here? Well, it's a lot better than it used to be. That's for sure. Um, it From here going forward, I, we're just taking it easy. Um, I guess for a little background on this, my, we obviously have not had a great relationship. Um, I, when I was about 16 or 17, I really kind of decided, you know what, screw it. I want to have a relationship with him. I don't, I kind of like the thought that I had is I don't want my kid one day to ask me, well, why don't I ever meet your dad? That kind of question. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? No, I want to have a relationship with my father. And so I decided sometime I was almost an adult. So I was probably late 17 and I decided, you know what, I'm going to have a relationship with my dad. It's going to happen. Um, I knew it was going to suck. I knew it was going to hurt. And there's one sentence that, oh my God, every time I think about it, it just hurts. And I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But I did, yeah, I decided I really want this relationship. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how can I get this relationship. Um, and the biggest thing I had to do was, well, I think there were two, is I had to get some kind of control of the relationship and I had to convince him that I wanted the relationship. Um, I had to get some kind of control of the relationship because if I was going to have a relationship with him, with our history and our issues, I needed to know that I was going to be safe to do so. I needed to know that if I could back, if I needed to back out, I could, I needed some semblance of control. Um, and that kind of, I started that control as I would pick what food we were doing. And if we'd meet up, I was picking the food. Sometimes it was making a dinner together at home. Sometimes it was going out and getting food. But whatever it was, it was something that I could get control over that he would be okay with. But also something that kind of showed I wanted to interact with him. You know, if I was excited to have a certain kind of food that show, it shows in his mind some excitement to interact with him. 
And so it kind of worked both ways for me. And that's where I started. And it took a lot of work and putting up with a lot of bad conversations and bad days. Um, and the line I was talking about earlier is I was actually helping him move out after the divorce when this happened. And we got talking a little bit as I was helping him carry it. Sofa. He said that, um, like, I know your mother and I have our issues, but I'm so glad you and I have never had our issues or something like that. And I just froze. Like I, that sentence right there, I just, I just shut down. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm carrying a couch with him and he says that I, I can't just leave. I'm helping him move the rest of his stuff in, but yeah, I'm never going to forget that sentence. Um, cause you had had so many issues up oh to my this God. point. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. imagine the fact that he thought we were good. Yeah. I couldn't even comprehend how he really thought we hadn't had issues. Um, but, but yeah. And slowly but surely we've, we've gotten a, gotten to a much better place. Um, it really kind of started with me being willing to be a little vulnerable with him, like little bits here and there, which I know is dangerous, believe me, but not about anything that had to do with him. Usually I would do it about, you know, a situation with a friend or a relationship, you know, little things. Some of them weren't even, weren't even completely true. It was just little things to kind of start getting him to see if I could get him to open that door a little bit too. Um, and I know it's completely backwards. You know, if you're a parent, you want a relationship with your kid, you're supposed to be the one who's vulnerable. You're supposed to be the one who starts that. Um, but he obviously wasn't going to, and I wanted that relationship. So I took it on myself and said, screw it. I'm going to do it. And it hurt. But I mean, I was already so hurt that I didn't feel much else. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. For those uh, who are out there listening um, and their parents, these are parents of these kids. Is there any, uh, and we are going to do a part two to this um, soon, within the next few weeks, but is there anything you want to to leave with them to just let them know that there is hope for their children in these situations? Um, I mean, yeah, of course there is hope. I, I think children are stronger than you realize, you know, they are smarter than you realize. Sometimes they are stronger than you realize sometimes. And, you know, just having, just being genuine and, and, you know, as long, if you're here and listening to this, you're obviously aware of the situation and that awareness is big. And so just, I would say, yeah, there's hope. There's always hope. Okay. And I will say to those parents out there, keep that door of communication open between you and your child. Be willing to be vulnerable to them and, and give them the space to be vulnerable to. So, so the second uh, session of this that we're going to do, we are going to dive into the question of, um, you know, parents are asking me all the time, do I divorce when they're 10? Do I wait till they're 18? What do I do? And we're going to talk through this. And uh, my son has agreed to talk through this and give his perspective, which I think is good, an incredibly helpful perspective uh, from the child. So uh, I look forward to that one. Thank you so much again for doing this with us. Yep. And everyone out there, I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. All right. So you want to go get some pizza now? Absolutely. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www 
covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G, as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.